0: Welcome to the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Hagen, a nutrition coach, entrepreneur, food freedom expert, and forever a recovering disordered eater. I am here to help you own your enoughness, find your very own food freedom, and achieve your health and wellness goals in a way that gives more than it takes. Each week, I will provide you with insight and inspiration surrounding no-nonsense nutrition, mindset, motivation, body image, confidence, and other wellness wisdom. Welcome to episode 105, our second episode in our nutrition and series that we're launching this year. Last week, we talked about how nutrition plays a role in a diabetes diagnosis and how you can use food to manage your diabetes. This week, I had the pleasure of interviewing my online friend, Sam, who is a PCOS registered dietitian. She empowers women who have PCOS and help them to balance their hormones without deprivation dieting. Just like throughout this entire series, we will be talking about how nutrition is helpful for so much more than simply changing our external appearance. And today's episode is no exception. We're going to dive deep into what PCOS is, why so many women struggle in silence with PCOS, and how what you eat and how you eat can play a big role in how this health condition can impact your health and quality of life. As always, if you love what you hear, really, really, really love what you hear, please leave a five-star review. And if you're thinking of someone who might benefit from hearing this content, this value, this free education, please pay it forward and pass it on. Share it on your Instagram or Facebook stories, even just direct message it to a friend quietly if you feel like she could benefit from learning more about how nutrition and PCOS are connected. to kick us off, I would love just to welcome you to the show. Sam, I really appreciate you spending time sharing your expertise and your incredible knowledge with us today. So thanks for being here.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to
0: have you. Everybody listening uh, is probably dying to know who you are. So Sam, give us a little nutshell. Who are you? Where are you? And what do you do?
1: Well, uh, my name is Sam. My, my full name is actually Samara, but I go by Sam, and I'm a registered dietitian. I specialize in helping people with PCOS improve their hormone imbalances without dieting. Um, so I have an Instagram account related to PCOS, PCOS.Nutritionist, and that is where I really love to offer support and guidance and motivation for anybody with PCOS. Um, I live in Charlotte with my husband and my two dogs, Olive and Winnie, and um, I, it's been a, I'm, I was trying to think of things that I would like to share about myself, and I feel like it's been such a crazy year with the pandemic. Um, I'm a huge foodie, but obviously we're, we've had to switch to takeout and delivery and things like that, and I love cycling, and um, yeah, I just really, really love being involved in the PCOS community.
0: I cannot wait to learn more from you because what I have observed is that there's so much information and a lot of it unhelpful and misguided information. And I have loved learning from your Instagram page, which I'll definitely link in the show notes below so people can take a peek at it um, and follow you for more incredible value. But i that's why we're here today, is to dive into all of that. But before we do, how did you get started with focusing on PCOS as a registered dietitian? I'm really curious.
1: So I have a brick and mortar practice in Charlotte called G&G Nutrition Company. And I just offered general nutrition counseling when I first opened my practice and I just kept seeing client after client after client with pcos and to be completely honest my sister has pcos and i just never knew a lot about it or learned a lot about it it took her a long time to get diagnosed and um, as i was doing more and more research i just realized there was so much information that was not being communicated to people when they were diagnosed so i um I just shared on my website that uh, that was one of the specialties that I offered. And once I started doing that, I was just flooded with clients um, related to PCOS. So I just kind of naturally started specializing in it and um, got involved in some organizations and started following the research very closely. And things just kind of evolved from there. So your superpower kind of came about by accident almost. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And kind of out of necessity too, um, just because I, like I said, so many clients just were not receiving some basic information that could really help them improve the way they were feeling from day to day.
0: Yeah, clearly there's a gap in care that you have stepped up to fill. I'm curious, Sam, what are your clients' Coming to you with? Like, what are their struggles? What are their concerns? Or perhaps a better way to phrase that is, what goal are they trying to reach that maybe other providers haven't been able to help them
1: achieve? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so things have kind of evolved with my Instagram account because people follow me for so long. I think they have a lot more information before they actually start working with me. But Initially, what in the past, what a lot of people have reached out about is um, counseling for weight loss, because when they have spoken with their providers, they've been advised that weight loss is the only way to really improve their PCOS symptoms. So when somebody comes to me, they may um, be struggling with feeling exhausted or maybe they have an elevated A1C level that's in the prediabetes range and they're concerned about long-term health or maybe they're not getting a period and they really want to try to conceive sometime in the near future. So they're coming to me with those problems but saying, you know, can you help me lose weight so I can achieve these goals? And I am a weight-inclusive Practitioner, so I really just view weight as more of a symptom or an outcome. So, you know, I always tell clients I can definitely help you work on behaviors that can help you achieve some of the problems that you're facing. But with with the weight piece of things, um, you know, that's kind of like an independent outcome that maybe you know, outside of your control, maybe not. Um, So yeah, that is, I would say weight loss is the biggest piece of things, but when we peel back the layers, there's so much more going on under there.
0: Of course, and I'm sure once your clientele starts to feel better and acknowledge that they're making health gains and quality of life gains, weight becomes so much less of a goal or less important or less critical of a goal. I think our culture likes to be very weight centric and it's a misplaced value in my opinion. And so what I notice with my clients as well is that, yeah, they might come to me wanting to lose weight, but then at the end of their journey, weight loss, if it's been a part of the amazing progress that they've made, least important part. And it sounds like you have experienced something very similar.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: So Sam, I asked you to come on the podcast today because, and this is a perfect segue, I think too many people believe that eating healthy and nourishing our bodies is just good for when we want to lose weight. And Mm -hmm. certainly we can make behavior changes in our nutrition and movement practices that may influence our weight, but Nutrition is good for so much more than that. Like I said, I think weight is the, the bottom of the totem pole as far as what nutrition is capable of changing. And I really wanted you to be the expert that we featured about how nutrition can help women struggling with PCOS because it really does affect quality of life and confidence and health in some negative ways. And so even if we set weight loss off to the side, nutrition can really help women struggling with some of the things like you said, extreme chronic fatigue, um, and just not feeling like themselves, high A1C levels and things like that. So I guess we should backpedal for a second. And before we dive into how can nutrition help with some of these things, can you tell us what PCOS is exactly?
1: Yes, yes, definitely. So PCOS stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. And PCOS is a metabolic, hormonal, and reproductive disorder. It affects at least 10% of women, if not more, um, because PCOS is... Common, it does commonly go undiagnosed for a long time, so maybe more people have it than we even realize. Um, <clears throat> some of the symptoms include missing or irregular periods, acne, um, hirsutism, which is excessive hair growth, um, hair thinning, especially like at the top of the hairline. Um, this is called androgenic alopecia. And then uh, many people do experience unexplained weight gain as well. So PCOS is the leading cause of inovulatory um, infertility, but it's also a lot more than that. We do see that PCOS is tied to an increased risk for type 2 diabetes, sleep apnea, endometrial cancer, fatty liver disease, and there's also an association with anxiety and depression. Um, Now we don't know, does something with PCOS cause anxiety and depression, or is it more just having a chronic illness that you feel like you can't trust the body that you're living in. Is that, you know, a bigger piece of the anxiety and the depression? So, um, yeah, that's what PCOS is. And then in terms of a diagnosis, um, something called the Rotterdam criteria is commonly used. So in order to, well, first of all, PCOS is a diagnosis of exclusion. So when somebody is missing a period, um, That can be caused by other things like hypothalamic amenorrhea or a thyroid condition or two big ones. Um, But the three pieces of criteria are irregular missing periods, polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound, and then elevated androgen levels. So androgen levels are those male sex hormones like testosterone, Um, And that piece can be diagnosed with either labs or signs and symptoms like what I mentioned above.
0: That's helpful to kind of know what symptoms someone might be experiencing if they do have PCOS. And you mentioned a really curious word, uh, causation. And I know this is a complicated question, but what does the research say about the origin or the cause, if we want to use that word, about PCOS? Lifestyle related, genetics, what can you share with us about that?
1: Yeah, there. So we don't one hundred percent know what causes PCOS. There's definitely a big opportunity there for research, but we do believe that there is a strong genetic component.
0: Okay, that's interesting because mm-hmm. I see, and I'm sure you see this far more often than I do, a lot of women feeling ashamed when they struggle with PCOS and it could be the weight connection. You know, it could just be the health markers and maybe their physician has said, Hey, you, you have to change your weight because I think the medical field likes to tie a lot of things inappropriately to your weight status. And that breeds this kind of insecurity. Like, Oh no, did I do something wrong? Like, did I bring this upon myself? And oftentimes I think that's so misplaced. And in my opinion, let me know if you disagree. I don't think guilt or shame helps to create any positive change at all. So we want to strip that from the minds of these women who are really trying to help themselves be healthier. But what you're saying is, no, the shame is it doesn't deserve to be on your shoulders because we really don't know where the cause comes from.
1: Yes. And I completely agree with what you're saying. And it's what I see with my clients all the time is, um, a big piece of PCOS for most people is having insulin resistance. And I think in the medical community, when we see insulin resistance, um, it's an assumption is just made that someone is not exercising or not eating well, or they don't care about their health. And I think I have worked with a lot of providers who assume that Lifestyle factors um, are what cause PCOS when really, when I get to know clients, oftentimes they've had signs and symptoms of PCOS, you know, since they were an adolescent. So
0: that's so interesting. I love knowing what the research says because we know there's a lot of lies and limiting beliefs just thrown around on the internet, especially, um, and even by some practitioners that just don't know. Maybe it isn't their area of expertise, like you've made it yours. So I really like knowing like what does the evidence actually say. I think that sets us on the right course.
1: Yes, for sure, and. Um, so- Something else I wanted to mention, the piece where PCOS often goes undiagnosed. Um, A lot of times in adolescence or maybe when somebody's in their early 20s and they're having an irregular period, the solution for that is to be placed on birth control. And I think a lot of people assume when you're taking birth control that you're actually ovulating and you're having a true period, which is not the case. And then they come off of the pill when they want to get pregnant. And that's often when, I, when I'm when i working with a client, that's often when they realize they had PCOS was when they were trying to conceive and they stopped taking birth control and then they were not getting a period. So um, I think it's easy in the medical community when you're talking to someone in their 20s or 30s to try to blame lifestyle factors. But when we really dig deeper... Um, With a lot of my clients, at least, I see that they were having a lot of the symptoms when they were younger.
0: Sam, I'm so baffled as to why we don't talk about this, because even as someone who's in the health industry, I only found out several years ago that when you're on hormonal birth control, it's not a period, it's a pill bleed. And Mm -hmm. like you said, PCOS is exclusionary. It's Mm -hmm. something that we want to like, let's rule all these other things out first. And so a lot of women who are struggling may just be blindly prescribed birth control because it alleviates the symptoms, sort of, right? It just kind of masks what's going on, but underneath the surface, like we didn't actually fix the root cause.
1: Exactly. And one thing that I do want to explain is that part of the reason that birth control is prescribed for PCOS is because if your body is in a state of trying to ovulate and it can't, um, you can ha- that, that endometrial lining builds up and that puts you at risk for endometrial cancer. Mm-hmm. So birth control does serve a very important purpose for health reasons, um, but it's definitely not the only way that you can shed that lining. I mean, there are a lot of my clients are able to have a period naturally with the right nutrition and lifestyle factors. Um, and I completely agree with you. I think so many, so many people don't even understand why birth control is prescribed and what happens is they're not happy with the way that birth control is making them feel, um, or some of the side effects. So they just stop taking it and then they're going a long period of time without having any sort of bleed and they're not really, really realizing um, the health risks associated with that.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because we're not trying to say hormonal birth control should be ruled out from everybody's um, healthcare plan. It's completely a woman's decision based on what's best for her. I have issue with the fact that there's just not more education and information. Completely, yes, yeah. When we're totally on birth control, and like you said, a lot of women don't even know why. Like, is it, what's what's the point of this? Like, please just tell me how it's going to help and what I should expect moving forward, or do I have other options and Mm -hmm. what it's like.
1: Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. I think anytime you're prescribed a medication, you should fully understand why are you taking it? What are the risks? What are the benefits? And what are the other options?
0: Amen. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. You'd kind of put a- <laughs> it that for us. <laughs> Sam, I have been dying to ask you. So as a nutrition coach, I work with my clients on creating true behavior change and building healthy eating habits because they want sustainable results. And a lot of women that I've worked with, with PCOS, have found that the classic diet culture, eat less, exercise more, doesn't work for them.
1: It fails Mm -hmm. them
0: over and over and over again, and they're so frustrated, as would anyone be, because they're doing all the right things, and they're eating fewer calories, and they're exercising all the time, and yet, nothing. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us why that aggressive caloric deficit, eat less, exercise more model is not the right plan for someone with PCOS?
1: yeah so when we're looking at treating pcos we're really focused on three things um, one would be improving insulin resistance um, the second piece would be decreasing inflammation and the third piece would just be giving a little love to gut health so those are really the three pieces and undereating and over exercising can definitely <laughs> make those worse um Calories, especially in my opinion, don't really have that much to do with PCOS management. It's more about what you're actually eating. Um, Eating less. So a couple of things with eating less or under eating. Number one is that that can actually put stress on your body. Um, And number two, that often leads to binging at some point or overeating or having this feeling that you, quote unquote, fell off of the wagon and just kind of give up. Um, So that's one piece. And then with exercise, I think because most people are advised to lose weight, they're really focused on high-intensity exercise, and they're focused on burning a lot of calories. And sometimes with PCOS, intense exercise can be inflammatory, in which case that type of intense exercise can actually make PCOS worse. Um, So I have seen this in my clients who are doing things like cycling or orange theory or endurance running that when they stop doing those things, they actually saw their symptoms improve. Um, Now, again, that's not the case for everyone. So, yeah, I think um, with the movement piece, especially movement, you know, if you have insulin resistance is going to usually help insulin resistance. Um, But, even something like walking or yoga can improve insulin resistance and lower those androgens.
0: I see this a lot. And I think that what helps the most is lower stress activity. So I think it's way too easy for us to forget that exercise, while it can be very health promoting and sometimes it feels like it's stress management, it's still sympathetic, right? It's still a stressor to our bodies. So too much of a good thing too much stress, right? And so that could acerbate symptoms. And the same thing goes with reducing your caloric intake. It's a stressor if you're dieting in any way, shape, or form. And so a body that could already be stressed, pile more stress on top of it, we we all know what happens, right? With chronic stress leads us to burnout. And so then of course, we're not gonna see results. Do you, and maybe this is not um, something you have an answer to, do you notice that strength training helps to improve with insulin resistance as well as walking?
1: Yeah, so there's actually research to support that as well, that, you know, if you can increase your muscle mass a little bit with strength training, that can definitely improve insulin resistance and um, help lower androgens. And I do see that in practice as well.
0: Yeah, I love prescribing, like, strength training and neat right just move your body rather than I think we feel like we have to get that sweaty soul-crushing workout you know like whether it's a cycle class or orange theory or some type of high intensity circuit but I think oftentimes the inverse actually helps us better in the long run especially women with PCOS
1: yeah and another thing I want to add to that too is the most important thing is that you're you're doing a type of movement that is enjoyable to you um and that is making you feel good. So, you know, if you truly hate strength training and you're never going to want to do it, then I wouldn't feel like you have to do it just because research shows that it can improve PCOS. Um, Another big piece of PCOS, and this is usually the starting point with a lot of my clients, is PCOS is associated with a lot of sleep issues and a lot of the hormonal imbalances of PCOS can make people feel exhausted. So typically, I do not focus on movement when I'm starting to work with a client because if you're feeling exhausted and you're not sleeping, the last thing that you're going to want to do is move your body. So um, I would focus on addressing those symptoms first, and then most of the time, um, someone will come to a point where they want to move, they want to exercise, they, they find that moving their body makes them feel good. So yeah, everything is very individualized. Absolutely. You are, we're going to become
0: best friends after this. (laughs) I have a saying, no sleep, no sweat, right? Like for you to not focus on quality sleep and then to go crush a workout is like jumping over $100 bills to get to pennies. So mm-hmm. much like you, we don't talk about movement or exercise until we get those self-care habits and nutrition habits because I think coming from a place of what can we give our bodies and nourish our bodies with first rather than how much can I burn and how, what do I need to take away is a much better approach. So I love that you specified that for us. Yeah. So good. Speaking of insulin resistance, I have to ask you this question. Mm -hmm. So insulin resistance, first of all, for people listening, could be discovered because of a high A1C, correct?
1: Um, So a high A1C is a three-month average of your blood sugar, so that's indicative of hyperglycemia. Insulin resistance is usually diagnosed by looking at your actual insulin level. Um, So this is diagnosed by either doing a two-hour glucose tolerance test where insulin levels are pulled or um, something that I like to do is just compare a fasting insulin to a fasting glucose and calculate a HOMA IR, which can be indicative of your your level of insulin resistance. This is actually I'm glad you asked that question because this is a huge area of confusion with PCOS is that someone may have been told that because they have a normal A1C or normal fasting glucose, they don't have insulin resistance when really their underlying insulin resistance is causing a majority of their problems. Um, Some of the symptoms of insulin resistance include feeling hungry all the time, even when you feel like you're eating enough, very strong carbohydrate cravings and craving something sweet, having dark velvety uh, patches of skin, like in the folds of your skin or on the back of your neck. Those are some good signs of insulin resistance. And... Most people with PCOS have insulin resistance, especially if they've had a symptom of weight gain because the insulin, elevated insulin levels are playing a role in that. Um, So whenever I'm working with a client, I always assume that somebody has insulin resistance unless I have labs to show otherwise, or they truly have no signs and symptoms. Um, And I think I've only worked with one client who has not had insulin resistance.
0: Wow, that's interesting. So pretty much across the board, always a little bit of individual variance, but that goes hand in hand with PCOS.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, now I do wanna make it clear that not everyone with PCOS has insulin resistance. So if you're confused, definitely look into getting some labs drawn.
0: Is this, or could it be, Sam, one of the reasons why I constantly see people telling women with PCOS to cut carbs. I yes, for sure. Well, so I would love to hear your thoughts. Like when it comes to carbohydrates and PCOS, what do you recommend?
1: Right. So you're right. This is a huge piece of advice for PCOS. And in my opinion, it's so misguided, um, just because we don't see people being able to follow a low carb diet long term. Um, so, And that's not anybody's fault. It really doesn't have anything to do with willpower or anything like that. I think our bodies are just meant and created to want and use carbohydrates. So what I like to focus on with clients is how can we help your body um, use carbohydrates in the most efficient way that's the best for your insulin resistance. So this could be, um, making sure that you're including some carbohydrates that have fiber in them like whole grains or um, legumes or fruits with the peel Um, this could also be making sure you're having some fat and protein with your carbohydrates and another piece too is that there are other factors that affect insulin resistance just outside of carbohydrates. I mean, gentle movement, even walking can improve insulin resistance. Sleep and sleep quality is huge for insulin resistance. So um, that's another area of focus and stress management as well. I can tell you something crazy is that I've had a client who actually had type two diabetes. So she was monitoring her blood sugars and She started a new job that was very stressful and on the days when she was at work, her blood sugars were higher than on the weekends or before she started her new job. So I I don't think we need, we should ignore all of these other lifestyle factors. It's really not just about carbohydrates.
0: So true. And I I can echo that. I actually have a client also has type two diabetes. And on our last coaching call, we changed nothing nutrition related. But we did pinpoint that sleep needed more focus. And so she's tracking her blood sugar consistently. And after just a few days of adhering to an earlier bedtime, getting better quality sleep, not waking up as often, and keeping a consistent to bed and wake up time she messaged me and said my fasting glucose is already down over 100
1: points oh my gosh
0: wow i know how amazing and i think this is where like we just get so misled we we like to look for that one neat answer like the magic pill the unicorn if you will and so i think carbs get demonized way too quickly without understanding, oh, no, there's so many other variables that go into insulin
1: resistance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and think about how confusing it is if you have PCOS and you have a condition where it may be causing you to just have these out-of-control carb cravings, and the main advice you get is to cut out carbohydrates. It's just a recipe for disaster a little bit.
0: And talk about like a feeling of restriction, which never works, right? We've got the restrict binge restrict cycle. So if you tell me I can't have bread for the sake of my health, I'm going to want bread so much more than I've ever wanted it in my entire life before, just because you told me I can't have it. And so then when I have it, I feel like a failure until I eat the the whole loaf because I might as well start over again tomorrow, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. So frustrating.
0: So enough about the frustrating part <laughs> the nutrition and PCOS. What do you encourage, and I know this is very individual specific, but if there are any generic mm-hmm. suggestions that you can make, what do women who struggle with PCOS need more of in their diets? Mm-hmm. What's something that you see often?
1: Yeah, well, and something um, interesting about PCOS and PCOS recommendations is that a lot of these recommendations are not... I mean, they are specific to PCOS, but they are also specific to just a general healthy diet. It's just that somebody with PCOS is really experiencing different types of symptoms related to nutrition. Uh, but I don't want anybody listening to think that like they're following a special PCOS diet that nobody else you know that it's not applicable to anybody else but kind of what I mentioned before with the carbohydrates is just including some protein and fat with meals and choosing carbohydrates that have fiber Um, another piece would be adding in some omega-3 fatty acids those are just tied to improving inflammation Um, things like fatty fish is great so Salmon is an example of that. Um, Things like nuts and seeds, avocado, olive oil, all of those things are great as well.
0: Sam, I've seen seed cycling be recommended for PCOS time and time again. What does the research have to say about that?
1: (laughs) Well, there's plenty of research that shows that seeds in general can be great for PCOS, uh, flax seeds especially, but I'm not aware of any research that shows a benefit to cycling seeds so (laughs) I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily invest in that so eat healthy fats but don't make it more complicated than it needs to be exactly
0: how about the flip side is there anything that you suggest clients so we don't really believe in eliminating any food groups but is there anything that you recommend might be beneficial to minimize or just be more conscientious about consuming in large quantities
1: yeah, I really more so with clients just focus on the addition piece of things. I truly don't even think it's necessary to go in to like cut back on this, limit this, restrict this, because like you said, it really just creates a vicious cycle where somebody feels guilt and shame and may end up benching on things, um, you know, when they're eating things that they feel like they're not supposed to. So what I find with clients is when they are being mindful of adding in some of the things that we talked about, they really don't need to worry about cutting back or restricting anything else.
0: Yeah. I would second that. I think it just encourages this abundance mindset, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, if I incorporate more of these things, I feel so much better versus a scarcity mindset that diet culture breeds of I can't eat X, Y, and Z. That doesn't Mm -hmm. feel good for anybody.
1: Yeah. And I think so much of PCOS is feeling disconnected from your body and feeling like you can't trust your body. And so I think a big goal with my clients for me is to help people reconnect with their body and rebuild that trust and when you have that trust you can decide for yourself what you want to cut back on Um, but the intention there is different you're you're cutting back on that or choosing not to eat something because you don't want to or it doesn't make you feel good you're not doing it because you think you're not allowed to
0: Mm, i would love to dive into that for a second so Mm -hmm. this lack of trust feeling like i can't trust my body i see this Correlated with weight status significantly. So because I'm trying all the right things and I'm using air quotes for everybody listening and I'm not seeing progress, maybe because of the things that we alluded to earlier, excessive exercise and dieting being stressors, that only acerbates this feeling of well my body's not working like something about me is broken so I obviously can't trust my body and something that you speak out about a lot on your Instagram profile which I love is the medical fields I'm going to go ahead and say unhealthy obsession with weight and BMI Mm -hmm. how have you seen that maybe serve as a detriment more than a benefit with your clients
1: Yeah, I, it's funny that you bring that up, because I don't think I even realized that I talked about it that much until I saw your questions. And I was like, do I, I guess I do talk about that a lot. But really, my Instagram content is just based off of my clients experiences. So like, if I have a session with somebody, and that's what they're talking about, then I may go on like a rant on Instagram or make a post inspired about that. But yeah, I do think it's really detrimental um, to medical care in general. I think that a lot of times somebody in a larger body may not be taken seriously. They may have medical conditions undiagnosed because their weight was blamed. I just got a question last night on an Instagram Q&A from somebody asking for advice of having some orthopedic pain and perhaps How should they move forward without going down a rabbit hole uh, because they were blaming their orthopedic pain on weight? And this is a perfect example because I see this all the time with my clients. And I find that once they get into physical therapy, a lot of times that pain can be resolved and they can go through each day feeling great. They can want to be active. And that's a perfect example of, you know, had physical therapy been prescribed rather than that person just being told to lose weight, then they could be back to feeling better or have a little bit of resolution to their pain earlier. Um, <clears throat> but I think with PCOS specifically, I think it's really problematic because I think people don't stick with any type of behavior unless they're losing weight because that's what they've been told that they need to do. So I You can see this in my Instagram comments and I see this in my group programs all the time that maybe somebody gets their period back or they see a drastic improvement in their symptoms and they haven't lost any weight. Sometimes I have clients who lose a drastic amount of weight and their symptoms actually get worse. Um, And sometimes I do have clients where their symptoms are improving and they do see a decrease in weight. And So I think it's just variable, and I think it's really misguided to say, you know, the only way that you can improve your PCOS symptoms is to lose weight.
0: Yeah, like you said earlier, it's one metric, and it's really not the end-all, be-all. And the medical field, I think, circles everything around BMI, which I think we could go on and on about why that's not even the best metric to use, but we won't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I think that just focusing everything around weight is definitely serving people in a negative capacity versus focusing on how do you feel, what is your body telling you, how are your health markers changing in positive ways, and like we talked about earlier in our conversation, again, I think it just brings back the shame component. So the client you mentioned struggling with um, orthopedic pain, I must have you know done this to myself because I am overweight according to the BMI chart, and so the only way that she felt like she could rectify it was losing weight when in fact PT was all that she needed. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think once again, it just kind of brings that, cloud of shame back. And I don't think that it's, it's helpful. And I've loved seeing you talk about it. And I did the same thing with my Instagram content. Like if, if a client's telling me a story or struggling with something, that's what I talk about. So, and it's probably what resonates with me because I see that happen in the lives of my clients as well. So I love that you talk out about it. I don't think enough people do.
1: Yeah. And I kind of think, you know, if, if this is my purpose for being on social media, then I will take that on, even though I get a lot of hate for it. Because I have so many people reach out to me and say, you know, when I saw your content, I actually felt hopeful. I was able to advocate for myself more. I was able to have X, Y, and Z diagnosed. I've been able to improve my health in this way or that way. So we... We have research that shows that weight bias and weight stigma leads to poor health outcomes. So I know as providers um, that are weight centric, they mean, well, the intention is really good. But what we see in practice is that it can actually be harmful.
0: Oh, yeah. Definitely. And I just went live about this in my Facebook group the other day talking about, I mean, New Year's will have come and gone by the time we uh, post this episode, but a lot of people jump on the crash diet bandwagon and losing weight is the goal but we were talking about why that could be so unhealthy because you could lose muscle mass or bone density or uterine lining or water. And none of those things are adding quality to your life. So my followers know that I'm not anti-fat loss if it's going to add to your life and your body is responding in a positive way. But if you're doing something just to pursue a number at the cost of your health, you are going to run into some serious trouble. And I think that both of us want to help clients
1: avoid that at all costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of times, unfortunately, especially in situations like with New Year's and dieting, uh, we do know that dieting is tied to weight cycling. So, you know, losing weight and then regaining weight. And that's actually tied to poor health outcomes as well, like an increase in inflammation, increase in insulin resistance. It's tied to cardiovascular disease. So, I would be thinking about, you know, as we're going into the new year instead, just thinking about like, what can I do to take care of myself, especially in the middle of a pandemic and everything with politics has been stressful this year. So I think we definitely need to give ourselves some grace there as well.
0: So true. And I think that's why I resonated so much with your content, Sam, because you're talking about lasting behavior change. Like, don't Mm -hmm. just do this as a short-term intervention. We want to create lifelong change and help you to feel great and to help your body sing. You know, we have to figure out what's going on for you and what feels best for you. And that's not a quick fix that's going to lead to weight cycling, which will just make you feel worse mentally and physically in the long run.
1: Mm -hmm. So
0: I really appreciate you being another no-nonsense voice of reason. Mm -hmm.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think to add to that too, um, there are so many aspects of health, not just physical health. I mean, we have mental health and we have emotional health as well. So I think when you're talking about improving health overall, it doesn't have to just be about labs or choosing a metric or anything like that. I mean, if if you focusing on your health means focusing on your mental and emotional health, that's okay too. And also you have autonomy over your body. So if it is, if you don't want to focus on health that there's no morality tied to health either. So I just wanted to add that as well.
0: Love that. I think something that we don't talk about often enough is mental health is health. And mm-hmm. yeah, if maybe now is not the best time for you to pursue a health goal, there's no shame in that either. It's totally going to be there for you if and when you want to cross that bridge. But there's also no shame. We said that so many times throughout our episode. No shame if you're needing to pursue something else or invest your time and your energy in a different area of your life right now.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So Sam, you already shared your Instagram handle with us. Is that the best place for people to reach out to you and to learn more from you?
1: Yes, so my handle is pcls.nutritionist. I'm actually in the middle of like a huge rebrand and a new website and things like that. But I always have whatever is going on with me and any links to resources for you in my Instagram profile. So that's always where you can find the most updated information.
0: Awesome. Thank you. We're going to drop that below so everybody can go get all of that amazing value from you. And I just want to say I appreciate so much you sharing your education and this helpful information with us because I think we just need more of this no-nonsense stuff out there so that we can debunk all of the lies and diet culture myths and just get people on the track that's right for them and helping them to feel fantastic in their bodies rather than feel like they're at war with it.
1: So, well, thank you so much for having me. I I had a great time. Right back at you. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom Podcast. If you like what you heard today, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and then head on over to nutritioncoachingwithnicole.com where you can sign up for my weekly emails where I send out my favorite tips, tricks, advice, and support every single Monday morning to help you kick your week off right. Thanks for listening. Until next time.